You're listening to the Law Careers Net podcast, a monthly podcast providing you with everything you need to know about becoming a lawyer. Welcome back to the Law Careers Net podcast. Firstly, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who let us know that they enjoyed last month's episode. That was all about researching law firms. If you haven't listened to that one yet, definitely go back and do so. There is lots of useful information about how to thoroughly research a law firm before applying. So this episode is going to be a bit of a longer one than normal, and that's because we are going to be talking about the Solicitor's Qualifying Exam, or the SQE. The SQE is a new system of exams that's going to be introduced in 2021, and all solicitors will have to pass the SQE in order to qualify. Speaking to lots of you, I know that you'll have lots of questions about this, and I did too, so I sat down with Professor Paula Moffat from Nottingham Law School to ask her everything I wanted to know about the SQE. I am here with Professor Paula Moffat. She is the Director of External Engagement at Nottingham Law School and she is going to be answering my questions about the SQE, which I'm sure will match with some of our listeners' questions about this SQE, which is the Solicitor's Qualifying Exam. Hi Paula, thank you very much for coming here today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Bethany. That's great. Okay, let's get started. Let's just go from the basics. Could you briefly explain what is the SQE? Okay. The SQE is the Solicitor Qualifying Examination, and it is the new route for qualification as a solicitor in England and Wales. And it is intended to be introduced by the Solicitors Regulation Authority in the autumn of 2021. So it will effectively replace the existing arrangements for qualification, which are at the moment that you complete the legal practice course, having completed a qualifying law degree, and then you go on and do a two-year training contract. So instead of that, there will be no legal practice course, and if you are a non-law graduate, that means no graduate diploma in law course to convert your non-law degree, and there will be no training contract. You will simply undertake qualifying work experience. So now, under the new rules, in order to qualify as a solicitor, you will have to pass the SQE1 and the SQE2 assessments and, as I say, complete a period of two years qualifying work experience. Now, I just want to reiterate that if you do want to be admitted as a solicitor, and as I say, we're talking about England and Wales, you will still have to have a degree or a degree equivalent. So degree equivalents can be obtained through a level six or a level seven apprenticeship or a professional qualification or through experience in the workplace. So basically everything is changing. The old route, the LPC, the training contract, the GDL, that is all gonna change. And the SQE, it isn't a course, it's an exam, right? Absolutely right. The SRA have introduced the SQE with a view to standardizing and simplifying the process of qualification as a solicitor through a centralized assessment which will be taken by all prospective solicitors, regardless of their route into the profession. So you are absolutely right, we are talking about the SQE as an assessment, which means that technically you don't have to do a training course in order to take the assessment, because it's the assessment that is the most important thing. In terms of thinking about what that means in terms of standardising the process, it means that it doesn't matter whether you've come through the apprenticeship route 
or being a paralegal or come straight from university or whether you're a lawyer from an overseas jurisdiction, everybody will sit the same assessment. Okay, um, and I think we're going to talk a bit later about kind of the different preparation courses and how exactly um, the exam will work. But maybe you can just explain a bit more about why why has this been introduced? Why all these changes? You know, you've said that you're, the SRA is trying to kind of regulate um, the kind of profession to make sure that all solicitors meet the same standard by, by this exam. Um, is there, are there any other reasons why the SRA have introduced the SQE? I think there was a discussion around trying to um, provide a level playing field and I think there was a sense that it would actually uh, help with diversity within the profession. Um, I think the jury's still out on quite how that will turn out, um, partly because of the costings of the assessment, because in a way they actually have a cost in themselves before you do any kind of training. So there are some issues which might make it more difficult for students who are not funded, whether that's by a training contract uh, provider, as would have traditionally been the case for the legal practice course in the GDL, or whether they're not in a position to self-fund. Because the SQE assessments actually are not at a level that's going to be be able to support any form of student loan financing, you've kind of got a gap in terms of where the the financing Mm -hmm. comes from. So it could be a potential problem for some students. Yes, and we'll definitely have a chat a bit later about kind of the costs that have been released so far and kind of what students can expect um, in that area. But let's think now about um, how the SQE is going to actually work. I think you mentioned there's going to be two parts. There's going to be SQE 1 and SQE 2. What are the differences? What are they? And how are they going to be assessed? Okay, (laughs) so this is... um, This is a very interesting question, I think, for many people who are thinking, what am I now going to be expected to do? Well, let's start with SQE1, because as you said, it's it's an examination of two parts. SQE1 is a knowledge-based assessment, and SQE2 is the skills-based assessment. There are some nuances there, which I'll come on to in a moment. SQE1 is described by the SRA as a test of functioning legal knowledge and is anticipated to consist of two online multiple choice assessments and each of those are going to contain 180 questions. So the idea is that it tests not just the black letter law but gives students a bit of a challenge as to their understanding of some fundamental legal principles and how those legal principles would then be applied to commonplace practice situations. So with SQE1 what you are combining is content which would we would understand normally to have been studied across both the undergraduate LLB, or if you've done the conversion course, the graduate diploma in law, as well as the legal practice course. So they're, they're kind of being blended to some extent into a standardised baseline assessment. Now, the original iteration of the SQE1 assessment also included a research and written skills assessment. Now, when the SQE1 was piloted, there were some concerns as to the validity of this aspect of the assessment. So we don't actually know at the moment whether this skills element is going to be retained as part of the SQE1 assessment at the moment. Let's go on to SQE2. Um, so SQE2 is going to be covering the kind of practical skills um, kind of needed to become a solicitor. So is it going to be kind of the same as the practical side of the LPC? I think that's a very good question. I think um, you're absolutely right. The SQE2 assesses legal skills, and it's just worth flagging at this point that it can only be sat once you've actually successfully completed SQE1. So you kind of move from one to the other. 
Now, the difference, I think, is that it's intended to be more rigorous than the current LPC skills assessment, even though the SQE2 will effectively be assessing broadly the same areas. So you're talking about client interviewing, advocacy, legal research, written advice, drafting and so on and so forth. But they have actually tried to sort of look a little bit deeper and think about some more um, slightly in-depth ways of assessing it, perhaps with some um, with, with the opportunity of actually having an actor in place to conduct that client interview with and so on and so forth. They've also introduced perhaps a sort of slightly higher level skill in the sense that we've got there's a new case analysis element and there's some element of negotiation which technically at the moment although they can form you know the backdrop to what you're doing for some of those skills assessment they're not actually at the moment part of it. So going back to the um, SQE2 and thinking about the um, fact that we're assessing skills in a practice context we Currently, it's currently envisaged that the candidates will be able to choose two relevant contexts from the five common core practice areas. Now, those are dispute resolution, which we'd probably think about today as being civil litigation, criminal practice, business practice, property, and wills and administration. And the idea is that they will choose two contexts within which to be assessed. Now, that raises of itself some questions really both for firms and individuals because firms might want their delegates or their candidates to be assessed on a particular area because they're interested in that area of competency so we don't at the moment really quite know what's happening around that choice or how many um, assessments you'd have to have to take there as well um, and that's largely because the SQE2 pilot only took place in December 2019 and we're not going to get the results of that till the spring. But in the context of the SQE2 pilot, we do know that the candidates were required to complete seven legal skills assessment twice. So they had to do 14 assessments in total. And they had to do seven assessments in a practice area that was chosen by the candidate, if you like, the specialisation. But for that, the choices were either business or criminal. So okay. that's possibly quite limiting. But obviously, it was just a pilot, so we don't know what that would look like in the future. And... The other seven assessments, which ranged across the five practice areas, so that you had at least one assessment in each of those given areas. So that kind of gives you a sense of, um, of where, where you go with that. And in terms of the advocacy or the oral assessment, um, that was going to be always assessed in the context of the dispute resolution or the criminal uh, practice area. So that's what we know about the pilot, but we won't have the results of that. And I think you can see that there are some unknown quantities after that. So, so from what we understand at the moment, SQE2 is going to be a kind of mock simulation. There's yeah. going to be actors um, kind of pretending to be to mm. be clients. So that's going to test um, the candidate in, in that in that way in those kind of real life situations. Yeah, I think it's definitely trying to be more like that. I would think that's a fair point to say. Yeah. Um, and you've mentioned the timeline. So you have to do uh, you have to complete SQE1 before you complete SQE2. Just having a look here, you know, once you've passed SQE1, you have to get your two years qualifying uh, legal experience. Um, and pass the SQE2 within six years. So that's the timeline for that. Now, um, talking about qualifying legal experience, that you know that's the training contract or the period of recognised training that we we have now. That two-year um, period that that um, you know students go into firms and become trainee solicitors. So is it going to stay as a two-year training contract at firms, or um, are there going to be different ways of gaining the qualifying uh, legal experience? 
I think the qualifying work experience will change significantly to the extent that um, the training contract is formally abolished. So you're not going to be a trainee anymore. So I don't quite know what we're going to call people because I don't know. We'll call them not the trainee. I don't know. But um, instead, as you say, you can obtain two years qualifying work experience. And that can be from up to four different organisations. And you can, if you like, collect that work experience over a period of time. So you might find that if you've perhaps done something at your university uh, legal advice centre and so say at Nottingham Law School we've got um, uh, a legal advice centre which is actually a law firm and so for some of our students will, will work there so it might be that if you're working in that environment you can you can collect some time there and perhaps that can be ahead of your SQE assessments but you could still claw that into the overall two years qualifying work experience and you can only do four places a maximum of four different placements that's right that's absolutely right but from the point of view of a student it's a really fantastic opportunity because there's much more flexibility you're no longer chasing a training contract a limited number of training contracts theoretically if you can set yourself up with the relevant work experience then you're going to put yourself in the position to uh, complete that qualifying work experience because there'll no longer be that requirement for trainees to kind of work in a specific number of different areas of law it's not going to be like seats and training contract you know in many ways the candidate themselves can choose which areas of law they're then working in so it's completely different than the training contract yes I, I think that I think what you're actually going to find is that um there is no longer any requirement to do contentious and non-contentious work there is no requirement to do a seat rotation now whether that's an issue or not I think is is an interesting one. I've heard, you know, some firms saying, well, actually, that's really, we we, ha- we only had the seat rotation because it's an opportunity for the students to sort of see what they like and it's a, it's, a, it's a good way for us to showcase the firm. But for other people, they'd say, well, actually, no, we got a, you know, we'd like to get a flavour of the different things that go on in a firm and actually to, to broaden our actual knowledge base. And I do think there are some things that you need to think about if you are a student, you know, applying and just having one kind of work experience because you might want to think about are you just qualified to do one very very small thing because have you actually got the skill set necessary to enable you to adapt supposing that you know markets change and if that line of business dries up what else could you do are you being trained sufficiently widely to know what else Mm. you could do you know have you got that sort of transferable skill set and the other thing I think is you know if you are only exposed to one very small area of practice there is a danger that you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Um, and and that actually sort of feeds into this idea of being competent as a solicitor, that, you know, you might actually just not have, having not been exposed to something, you might not even appreciate um, some of the issues associated with a particular area of work. Now, of course, that does go back to the training that you get, um, but on the basis that you no longer have a regulated training contract mm. that's regulated by the SRA, your training could be minimal but again it's in the firm's interest to get you trained up well so I think you're going to see different firms doing different things so I think I would imagine that the traditional firms who recruit on the two-year rolling training contract cycle will continue to do that and effectively you will move around those um, that firm and you will do your four seats possibly six seats possibly one international seat and that will continue to be the case because that works and that's an established model and whether you call it qualifying work experience or a training contract is neither here nor there it will still still be be the same same thing. thing 
But what the qualifying legal experience does offer is a bit more flexibility for, because you know, training contracts are so competitive um, for those people who want to kind of work in different areas of law. They want to do work in a law clinic, they want to work in a smaller firm, that sort of thing. They can kind of bank up that work experience and qualify that way and take the SQT, SQE part two at the end to qualify. Yes, although they might even be able to take the SQE two before that because it seems as though um, one of the biggest issues around the SQE2 timing is that although it was originally envisaged by the SRA to be taken at the end, um, there's a possibility that somebody might not want to take you on uh, without the SQE2 because the point is if they take you on and think, well, actually, I'm happy to take them on when they're a qualified solicitor, and if you never pass that exam, then they've got uncertainty in their budgeting, yeah. they've got uncertainty in their workforce. So I think it's a good time to kind of point out to listeners that there is so much still to be confirmed. You know, careers advisors, universities, um, employers, law firms, you know, they haven't firmed up exactly what they're doing. Um, so lots still to be released, lots still to be confirmed. And obviously we're going to be reporting on this um, kind of when things are finalised. Just to go back to the work experience, each period of work experience has to be signed off by the Compliance Officer for Legal Practice, which we call a CULP in practice or a solicitor in the organisation, or a solicitor who has had experience of your work. Now what's really interesting is, so you could get your work signed off by somebody, but that person doesn't necessarily have to be someone who holds a practising certificate. And I think, I imagine that that's to improve the flexibility if, for example, you're working in a university law clinic or somewhere where you might have a non-practising lawyer involved, so that's meant to give greater flexibility. But when you... um, do sign off obviously the person who's signing off is saying that there's evidence um, from your qualifying work experience that not only have you given clear details of what you've actually done uh, you've also had to demonstrate that you you have had the opportunity to to develop some of the SRA's prescribed competences for solicitors which are set out in the SRA code of conduct and also that there are no issues as to your character or your suitability to be admitted as a solicitor. So those are very important things to be signed off. Okay, so that was a summary of what SQE1, SQE2 and the QLE, which is the Qualifying Legal Experience, what that all is and how that will work. But obviously, as we said before, the SQE is an exam. Um, and you said before that, you know, students don't have to take any kind of preparation course before taking the SQE. Mm. But undoubtedly, there will be um, these kind of SQE prep courses. So what are universities doing um, to kind of prepare students for the new SQE route? Okay, so... Um I think that what you're probably going to see is that there's going to be a wide range of courses on offer. And I think for firms who've traditionally recruited students on, you know, that sort of fairly traditional two-year rolling trainee training programme and then provided sponsorship, I think, as I've already indicated, it's most likely to be business as usual. And they'll just repackage that LPC training for the SQE. And I think the reality is that Although this is a fantastic opportunity for law firms and legal services providers and law schools to think about how we actually do training, a lot of the content that you want students to know isn't suddenly going to change overnight. So whilst there might be things that you're doing now that you think, well, actually, we don't need to be doing that anymore, and you might want to do some different things as well, there's still going to be quite a chunk of stuff that you know, you're going to want to deliver. So I do think that's important to reflect. So I suspect what will happen is that you'll, depending on the market and depending on what students want, we'll see a sort of settling down of what the norm becomes. But I don't think that will be apparent because I think there are a lot of providers out there and I think there's a lot of potentially different models. So I think we're likely to see some short SQE1 and SQE2 courses for people who just want to do a short, sharp thing 
and if they can self-fund and just, you know, if they, in their own terms, sort of blitz it. Um, but I think until the, until the requirements of the SQE1 and the SQE2 have been finalised, I don't think we can be definitive about, you know, precisely what those are going to look like. Um, I think that um, one of the issues, which is a really big issue, which we touched on at the beginning, goes back to funding, because we don't really know how much these courses are going to cost because we don't really know exactly what they're going to look like. But we do know that because the SQE is not an academic course that we can get student funding for, that's going to be a real problem for students who are unable to self-fund. So I suspect the reality is that we're going to see some university law schools delivering that as part of a master's level option to enable students to obtain that student loan to fund their studies. And that's going to be really important for the uh, diversity initiatives across law because where people haven't got anything else other than a student loan to fund them the danger is you're actually going to get a narrower rather than a more diverse um, uh, profession. So uh, so kind of imagining that I am a law student and mm. I'm going to be taking the SQE I'm just kind of thinking about the timeline so I will be doing my LLB my law uh, undergraduate law degree there may be an element of SQE prep within that depending on which university I go to and which mm. course I do but then after that you know, you can do SQE 1, the, the part of the exam, straight after, um, you know, your undergraduate law degree. Uh, and then you've got that six years to, to get that work experience and then do SQE 2. So the LPC is gone. There is no postgraduate course. But mm. obviously, you know, there might be postgraduate SQE courses. Yes. We don't really know how that's going to work yet. I mean, I know that some universities and, and education providers have been working on these kind of SQE, you know, postgraduate courses, but nothing is finalised yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say Nottingham Law School is incredibly well prepared. We've been thinking about this for a really long time. We've got lots and lots of things in the pipeline. And, uh, and it's really just a question of trying to understand exactly what is going to come out of all of the SRA discussions because we're in a really good position once we actually know what the details are to, um, you know, to, to, to come forward and, 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 and put, some, put some of these um, courses for students out there. I think to some extent it's going to be slightly market driven because it, it's what, what will the students want. But I think in terms of thinking about it from the point of view of the students, um, as I say, we can assume that the market's going to move to provide SQE1 and SQE2 training courses and courses which will combine the two elements. Now, it's absolutely clear that the introduction of the SQE1 particularly is going to lead to a lot more online provision because for students, they've now got to get their heads around, and this is a really big issue, I think, for law students, they've got to get their heads around doing a multiple choice question paper where most of their undergraduate training is about problem solving and writing essays. So that's quite a big change in terms of assessment style. And I think you've got to think a little bit about using technology and how you train people and teach people towards an assessment. Because when you're using technology, it's really important that it's pedagogy led, by which I mean you're using that technology not just to say, oh yeah, we're really high tech and we use technology, you're using it because it's actually enhancing the development and the learning of that student. So it's not just a way to reduce costs or to tick the technology box. So the best law schools, such as ours, Nottingham Law School, will be using their experience of excellence in innovation, in learning and teaching to develop courses that, if you like, enhance that traditional experience, so an element of blended learning, it's not just a question of replacing face-to-face -face teaching with online recorded lectures and a few multiple choice tests. 
it's really about making sure that when we design our courses, as we are doing, we're trying to integrate the technology to provide interactive, immersive activities that enable students to acquire those relevant knowledges, not that relevant knowledge and skills. Now, of course, as we've said as well, SQE2 as an assessment focuses on legal skills and requires much, much more sophisticated uh, delivery methods. We've touched on the fact, you know, we're probably talking about interaction with actors and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a higher level of interaction than we currently have um, on the LPC. So in that sense, students are going to be advised to look very carefully at the experience that different law schools have, if you like, in that higher level skills training when they're choosing um, what law schools to attend. And if you are a non-law student, um, the route qualification is going to be slightly changed. We're not going to have the graduate diploma in law. Um, we're going to have some, well, something called the postgraduate diploma in law. Now, is that <laughs> going to be the kind of same course, repackaged, um, called something slightly different, and then with, a, with an SQE1 prep built in? Or do we not know anything about that yet? Okay, well, I think the first thing to say is, of course, you don't have to do the GDL. You could just literally finish your degree in history or music or classics and just decide that you're going to rock up and do the SQE1. Might not be advisable. <laughs> no, it sounds appealing on some ways, doesn't it? But I think you've got to consider that approach very carefully for two reasons. The first reason, of course, is you're going to have to answer law questions in the assessment. So um, bearing in mind that it is only possible to have three attempts at the assessment, and as you've already said, they have to be taken within a period of six years, the stakes are very, very high if you fail. So if you are wanting to have a career as a solicitor, then you've got to think very carefully about making sure you put yourself in the best position to get through the assessment. Um, so that's, that's one reason why I think you do need to do a course. And the other reason for doing a course is, I think, because simply passing the SQE1 may not provide a legal services employer with the confidence that you have got a sufficiently thorough grounding in English law and the English legal system. And when we look at most employers who are used to having non-law students coming through, having studied on what is a very, very highly regarded graduate diploma in law conversion course, if you haven't studied law in depth, I think that is likely to be seen as a disadvantage. And I think to that extent, you could see that it is actually going to affect a candidate's employment prospects. So yes, we do envisage that we will have a graduate diploma in law course. Now, whether or not it needs to be as, you know, um, whether or not we'll see shorter uh, courses, again, that might be something that we can look at and we, we will see in the market. It depends a little bit on how it works out around the funding and how you can actually um, position that that sort of like the, the 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 funding of that course. I think if you're going to say that the SQE one SQE two is a masters, you couldn't have them both as a masters, and I think it would be a very hard call to try to pack them mm. both into one year. And and thinking about costs, and obviously we've said we we just don't know how much you know the preparation costs are going to co cost yet. Um, a lot of stuff is to be confirmed, but they have confirmed the SRA have confirmed the rough kind of price guidelines. Um, for actually taking the SQE and you know the, the thing to remember is that um, you know you will pay to take the SQE and if you do wish to take the preparation co co uh, preparation courses you will also have to pay to take those so you know in the long run is it going to be cheaper than than the route that we have right now I mean it's probably you know not, nothing certain right now but no, and I think that is one of the, difficult, the, the difficulties at the moment, because I think, you know, if we, if we imagine that, as the SRO have said, that the SQE1 is between £1,100 and £1,650, and the SQE2 is, you know, just under 2000 just about 2900 or so, you know, we're looking at a course, the, the, sorry, the, the assessments alone costing around 
£1,000. Now, that's before you've done any training, as you say. So that is that is potentially very challenging for students. Um, so I do think that it is going to cost students money to do those courses. What those courses are going to cost, we don't know. And I think to some extent that depends on where the market goes with this. And I think it goes back to what, what I was saying before about to some extent how students are going to see that they want to work the system and I think it will depend on where you do your training contract and I do think for the self-funded you might have some who say well actually I'd rather do a longer slower burn and maybe do something as a master's and get funding for it if that's possible to do it like that on the basis that um, you know I've got kind of that 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 greater level of certainty that I can sort of mm-hmm. you know um, get through it rather than maybe spend a you know a lot of money or a small amount of money perhaps but doing it in a shorter period of time with that with possibly just just trying to get it done to save money and then get back to work but I, I think it's going to depend on students and I don't think that we, we will know until we start seeing it and I think it'll be different if you're working in a firm in a high street practice from you know further in the city of London yes there definitely are um you know concerns that the SQE is going to take uh, is going to create this kind of two-tier legal system where you've got those who can afford to take the SQE prep courses and then the SQE itself and those who prefer just to take the SQE so obviously there are problems around kind of access to profession in that way and you know and how students are going to uh, afford this but I think your tips about you know potentially finding those courses where you can get um master's funding is a good is a good one and you know we haven't had all the courses confirmed yet so we don't mm. know the prices so it's kind of waiting to see um about that before you know anybody makes any decisions I think th- I think that's absolutely right I just think in terms of you know just thinking about you know when you are looking to um spend your money because if you're you know I think people will be well advised to do a course and I think you know sometimes firms are surprised when they find out that people don't have to do a graduate diploma in law course so I think there's an expectation within the profession they find that quite surprising um and, and I don't know whether that will affect, you know, what your employment prospects are if you don't do that sort of course. So you don't, you want to really make sure that you really investigate the market that's out there. And you look very, very carefully at the track record of who is your training provider to make sure that if you do decide to go with a particular organisation, that you're confident that they are the right one for you in your personal circumstances. That's good advice. Um, and finally, let's think about uh, when the SQE is actually coming in. It's coming in 2021. Um, it's already been postponed by one year. Um, so perhaps you can just talk through what that will mean for students studying now, uh, either law degrees or non-law degrees, um, and kind of how long that transition period will be, because there will be a transition period between the old system and the new system, and how exactly that will work. Yes, we are going to see that um, we've got a, we've got a period of transition. But as you say, the SQE one is going to come in for the first time in the autumn of twenty twenty one. So it's not actually that long to go. It's now less than two years. But we also see that there is a transition period in place. So for people who are currently on a qualifying law degree course or doing the GDL or in the middle of their LPC or who've started their um, training contract obviously that's all happening and if that's all happening or has been signed up for so if you've actually sort of committed funds to actually go ahead and uh, start uh, a, a course ahead of the SQE introduction in autumn 2021 then the existing LPC route of qualification will remain open until the end of 2032 so quite a long time uh, a good 11 years after it's actually been introduced what I think might happen is that there will possibly come a point where, if you like, 
the profession just moves and maybe it'll be after it's sort of come in and been rumbling along for sort of you know two or three years and everyone will say right enough's enough I'm not going to have my parallel LPC and you know SQE routes but let's let's just go with the um, let's just get everyone to do the SQE. Thank you very much for that Paula that's answered a lot of questions that I had and hopefully answered uh, some of our listeners questions too um, there's definitely kind of still lots to be confirmed um, and obviously we'll be reporting on it um, at Law Careers Net and um, candidates should definitely keep an eye on um, what Nottingham Law School are up to in terms of the SQE uh, as well. Thank you very much Bethany for um, interviewing me today it's been a great pleasure to talk to you and yes I'd just like to um, say to anybody if anyone's got any question about anything that Nottingham Law School is doing around these courses please don't hesitate to get in touch we'd be delighted to talk to you about our work. Thank you. A big thank you to Paula for answering all of my questions. It's worth pointing out that since we recorded that interview, it has actually been announced that the results from the SQE2 pilot won't be out until about June or July this year. So we've got a bit longer to wait to find out how that pilot exam went and what exactly that means for the SQE. Paula also asked me to mention that Nottingham Law School will be offering students a course option that includes some elements of SQE1 preparation within the third year of the LLB. So do keep an eye out for more information about these courses. Hopefully that has cleared up some of your questions and concerns about the SQE and it is just worth pointing out again that there is so much yet to be revealed and finalised so we would just say to make sure you're keeping up to date with everything that's going on so you can make the best decision about which route you're going to go down if you have that option and which courses you're going to do. We'll be reporting on everything as it happens on Law Careers Net. That's all from us for now. There might be a sneaky bonus episode coming next week, so make sure you subscribe to us so you can listen to that when it comes out. We'll see you next time.